Hello, and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and what a delight to be with you on this now Thursday, May 7th of 2020. I pray that you have been uh, uh, receiving and, and, and enjoying and listening to these podcasts that I believe are speaking to us. I believe that we are, and we represent, when I speak of we, we speak of all of us that are listening. We represent an end-time generation that is seeking after God. Because that's what it's going to take in this hour to, to make it in these uh, trying times. We thank the Lord for his protection. We thank the Lord for all his goodness. And today, this is time. This is our time. This is the hour that we set apart and we study the word of God together. I know that if you have been listening, especially this week, uh, the direction where the Holy Spirit has been taking us, I believe it's, it's uh, powerful. Yesterday, we, we studied about meaning of names. And 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 we we spoke a little bit on uh well we spoke about Amalek, and and how his lineage came about, what is it that it means, what it represents, and very beautiful uh tremendous things we were able to glean out of the Word of God. And so today we want to continue in the study of the Word. It's always a pleasure to be with Brother Fernando, our panel, Brother Marty, together studying the Word of God with each and every one of you that are listening. Brother Marty, take it on this uh, fresh new day here on Thursday, May the 7th. I'll leave it with you. Well, praise the Lord again. It's good to be uh, back and uh, studying the Word of God as we continue in our study uh, of part two of, of, of our title, Now Go and Smite Amalek. Brother Jeremy, would you read First uh, Samuel 15, verse 1? through three, and then we'll get into our study. Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord set me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek, and utterly destroy all that they have, and spare them not. But slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Amen. So this is what we were talking about yesterday, this command that uh, Samuel, uh, by the word of the Lord, gave to King Saul uh, to go and utterly destroy Amalek. And as we have been uh, teaching all this week, we began with focusing on the prophet Samuel and how uh, God raised him up. And his prophetic ministry was unique in that he witnessed the destruction of the spiritual establishment, uh, pseudo-spiritual establishment under the high priesthood of Eli and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And subsequently, also, he witnessed the rise of a political and uh, military kingship under the house of Saul. And so this is many, many years later after Eli and Hophni and Phinehas had died, and Saul has already been anointed king. And God sends Samuel to him as the leader of Israel and begins to command him to go and smite Amalek. 
And as we were talking yesterday, and Brother Jeremy just read, it seems to the casual reader, the commandment of God was incredibly extreme. Because in verse 3, he reveals to Saul that not only do I want you to destroy Amalek, I want you to destroy every man, woman, toddler, baby, and the livestock. Everything that you come in contact with, I want you to destroy that. And and to the casual observer, it, it seems like that is an incredibly extreme thing to request. But as we began to explore yesterday, and as we'll continue today, um, we asked the question yesterday, why such an intense focus on this one name, Amalek? And Amalek, by the way, as we pointed out yesterday, he wasn't even alive when God sent Samuel to tell Saul to destroy him. But he refers to the Amalekite people uh, as one single entity headed by one single person known as Amalek. And when we, again, looked at who Amalek really was, we began to go through his family tree because in his family genealogy, we began to see the keys and insight by the Spirit of God as to why it is that God was so intense about destroying him. And we talked about yesterday that he came from two specific lines of people. Uh, one was the Canaanites, and the others were the Horites. And we spoke about the Horites and and who they were and and where his mother came from, that is Amalek's mother. Her name was Timna, and she married a man by the name of Eliphaz, who came from the Canaanites. Timna came from the Horites, and her father's name was Seir. And as we pointed out yesterday, the lineage uh, follows through the line of the mother many times in Scripture. That is the principle set forth. And so we zoned in on who were these Horites, because that's the origin of Amalek, the coming together of the Canaanites and the Horites. And as we spoke of yesterday, uh, if you do your research and you dig into the history of these things, you'll find out that uh, according to modern-day archaeologists, that the Horites, uh, which is the tribe of which Amalek emerged, they are not referred to as Horites because of their ethnicity. But as we discovered yesterday, that the Horites is actually a reference to a, a royal class of priesthood or a priestly yes. class that was of a royal nature. The Horites w would become the future priests uh, in Egypt. Uh, of the god Horus. And as we pointed out yesterday, Horus uh, was the god of the Egyptians, uh, and his symbol was the all-seeing eye. He is the sun god that Egypt worshipped. But their original origin, their original priesthood, as we dug into it yesterday, and I encourage you guys, whoever's listening, to go back and listen to the podcast from yesterday because we laid out an extensive review of these things. The origination of the Horites <laughs> actually predates Egypt even and 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 how they came into becoming a priesthood uh as we dug into it, we saw that their priesthood actually had their origins uh from before the flood of Noah, and as the Egyptians call that time, they call that time zeptepi uh that's the the Egyptian phrase for the first time the time that was before the flood, the time that was before the destruction. And according to uh, the historical accounts, this knowledge of this priesthood 
would eventually evolve into uh, Timna, uh, Amalek's mother, and her father, Seir, was a high priest of this priestly order. It had its origins, like we said, in the time before the flood. And, and, they, and, and we referenced what that priesthood was a priesthood over. We talked about Genesis chapter 6, where God reveals that the sons of God, the Elohim of God, the sons of God, saw the daughters of men and they took them to be their wives. The, the, the altering of the DNA, if you will, of, 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 of the women's seed or the woman's egg uh, through these, these fallen angels, as the Bible gives us hints there in Genesis chapter 6, Revolt, uh, resulted in Genesis chapter 6, verse 4, of what they call the mighty men of old. We, we call them the Nephilim. That's actually the word that's used there, the Nephilim, the mighty men of old. And it is, it is to these giants that the Bible calls them giants that this class emerged, uh, which would become the Horites on the other side of the flood. This was a priestly class that engaged in extreme architecture according to tradition wherein it's quite possible that why we witness these temples that we see today that no one can figure out who built them you know like the pyramids or or the or the or the pyramids that you find all throughout south and central america the buried huge megalithic structures off the coastlines of japan and other places around the uh, coastlines of the world, buried underneath the waters of the ocean. These are all hints to us on this side of the flood that there appears to have been a first time or a time where temples, tabernacles, structures, which we still can't figure out how to build even with our vaunted technology today, that these right. were the structures where the Nephilim, if you will, this this race of, of, of hu human hybrids, if you will, emerged which ultimately brought about the destruction of the world that then was. And these priests right. were, were responsible to minister unto these Nephilim, according to the traditions now. Now, the knowledge of this, this ritual, this deep, occultic, dark uh, priesthood, which existed before the flood, was carried over after the judgment of God in the days of Noah, uh, through his family, Noah, his wife, yes. his, his three sons, Shem, Ham, and, and, and Jacob. And <clears throat> it filtered on the other side of the flood through the generations of the Canaanites, the, the, uh, the knowledge of it. Now, yes. Amalek and his, his bloodline, it is the most evil and the most satanic of all the bloodlines. And this is why God is so intense about destroying Amalek which is the scripture that started our podcast today, which Brother Jeremy wrote, uh, read, which Samuel told Saul, he said, now you go and destroy every single thing that, that, that represents Amalek, all the people and everything they possess. And there's a reason for that as we've been discussing. It's more than just God didn't like these people. It is actually because that which flowed through their veins and the class of people these people were, these were a, a, a people group that were steeped in the, in the darkest, most uh, debauched, evil practices. This is the, the bloodline that Amalek came out of. And in, real, in, in, in truth, Amalek is a foreshadow 
really, of the Antichrist and the false prophet to come. Now, remember also yesterday when speaking of Amalek, we spoke about how he shows up after the children of Israel some several hundred years later. He, he shows up or his descendants show up uh, in the after the children of Israel are let free out of Egypt. We spoke about this intense battle that took place in the Valley of Rephidim, as it's called. And those of you, again, go back and review this in yesterday's podcast, but you'll find that in Exodus chapter 17, verse 16, where a battle is described between uh, Joshua in the Valley of Rephidim and Amalek, really the spirit of Amalek that was running through the children of Amalek. And, and, and there we had an account of how Moses goes up to uh, the top of the mountain and, and Aaron and her had to join him and actually hold up his arms as Joshua was down in the valley fighting Amalek. And we talked about now, after we reviewed all the genealogy of Amalek, how, it, how we begin to understand just how intense this battle is and who Amalek really is and what he, he represents and the spirit of Amalek that flows through the generations because God would tell them, you're going to fight this spirit of Amalek from generation to generation. There is something very specific about it. And and really, the truth is, is it, it is it is soon to emerge, if you will, once again in our time in the form of, of the Antichrist and the false prophet that's mentioned in the book of Revelation 13. But that's for another podcast in the future. But that's where we're headed with these studies. And the reason we've taken the time to, to explore these things at length is so that we can lay a solid foundation, especially for those of you who have been with us all these podcasts, to understand what we are actually up against in our time. Because the, the origins of, of what is taking place now and what we see in the failure of the modern church has its origins in the prophetic pattern in the historical narrative of the children of Israel and their dealings with this spirit known as Amalek. And remember again, as we went through his through his genealogy, his grandfather was was named Seir, his mother was Timnah, his father was Eliphaz, and this group produced Amalek, the boy. And we found that in their names, God was revealing to us some very important clues, because his grandfather Seir, his name literally means the hairy goat man. <laughs> uh, or yeah. or the satyr, right? The satyr. A satyr is a half goat, half man. He represents Satan himself. Throughout the mythologies of the world, you'll see hints of him. Amalek's grandfather was actually a high priest of this deep occult magic. His daughter Timna, her name means restrainer, and the husband she married, Eliphaz, whose name means my god is gold, these three produce in the genealogy of, of Genesis 36, the one that would become known as Amalek, the one who is the dweller in the valley, which harkens to what David wrote about, I will, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? I will fear no evil. So we have Seir, Timna, Eliphaz producing Amalek. So in essence, what God was revealing is that this is a satanic line. And as we look through the genealogies yesterday, we discovered that that satanic line goes all the way back before the flood, before the destruction of the world, when the angels left their own habitation 
and this priestly class rose up to worship the Nephilim, that that tradition carried over on the other side of the flood and was brought into the world by the sons of Ham. And you can read that in Genesis chapter 9, verse 18 through 25, where that whole account of, of this kind of information being brought forth is revealed through the genealogies that begin right there in Genesis chapter 9, beginning with verse 18 through 25, and then through 10 and 11. Remember this, the sons of Ham produced these things. Canaan uh, is yes. in the lineage of this Amalek. Cush, uh, which was also a son of Ham, produces Nimrod. Both of these things are hints at a future time, which we believe we're, we're approaching quickly. Remember, Nimrod yes. is a type of the Antichrist, and the fact that Amalek is in the line of Canaan Emphasize and that he comes from the Horites emphasizes both a spiritual uh, 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 darkness uh, through the priestly line of the occult from which he emerged, and then Nimrod, who's a type of the Antichrist. So we see both of these things flowing through the offspring of Ham, one of the sons of Noah that came across the flood with him. So, with all that in mind, the very first time we see him actually. Uh, rearing his ugly head, that is Amalek, before we get to Saul, which was where we're headed today, we see him again, or his descendants again, and that spirit of Antichrist emerge just before the children of Israel are going to go into the promised land. And Brother Jeremy, I want you to look over there in Numbers chapter 13, would you? Numbers yes. chapter 13. And those of you who are listening, if you have your Bibles, go over now. We're talking about this ancient history and why it's so important to understand it. And I understand this isn't, you know, just your everyday average Bible study, but, but we ain't got time to be playing around anymore. <laughs> so we got, we got to dig, we got to dig into this, man. We're living in some extraordinary times and we need to make sense of what in the heck is going on because things seem to be getting much more radical than they ever have been before. And and it is because we are reaching that time when the spirit of Amalek is about to reveal itself again, even as it did during the time of the children of Israel, the time of King Saul, the time of King David, even in the time of Jesus, quite possibly when he confronted that which is known as the legion that possessed that man from Gadara. And then now at the end of time, again, we will see the pattern hold true. Now, would you turn over there, Brother Jeremy? Are you there? Yes, I'm there. Now remember, yeah, of numbers. Now remember, yes. Moses and the children of Israel, they finally come to the point of of entering into the promised land. And and as and so Moses sends twelve spies into the promised land. And and the Lord reveals there in the book of Numbers something very interesting. Remember, we're dealing with Anak. Uh, we're dealing with the Amalekites, we're dealing with the Canaanites, we're dealing with the Nephilim. Look what they find when they get to the promised land, the spies, that is. Would you start reading, Brother Jeremy, at verse 27? Yes. Because, wait, wait, wait. So when they go to the promised land, they go and spy out the land, and then they come back. And this is what they tell Moses that they saw. Go ahead, brother. And, and they told him and said, we came unto the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth, floweth with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. Continue. Yeah. Never, nevertheless. Okay. 
Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. And? The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. So check this out. They're right on the precipice of entering the promised land. The promised Mm -hmm. land is really a type and a foreshadow of that which is promised to the children of God at the conclusion of the ages, at the conclusion of history. The promised land is a type of, of heaven and earth blessed and flowing with milk and honey. But just before they're about to go into the promised land, we see this tremendous opposition that's in the land. And when they return with this report, it's very interesting what they say, because we've been talking about how this priesthood that Amalek emerged from had its origins in the dateless past before the destruction of the earth the first time, the flood of Noah. There was a priestly class, uh, according to the traditions and the the different writings of the elders, that say that that class... Uh, uh, and the knowledge of of those dark things that happened had their origins in the worship of the Nephilim. And that knowledge crossed the flood and was revealed by Ham and his descendants, Cush, Canaan, so forth and so on. So it's interesting that when we get to the promised land the first time, what they say in verse 27 when they're talking to Moses when they come back after spying it out, it says, yeah, it's an awesome place, right? It flows with milk and honey, so forth and so on. But they said, but look at who's there now. It says, nevertheless, in verse 28, the people are strong that dwell in the land. There are cities and there's great high walls, very great. And moreover, moreover, we see the children of Anak there. And, mm-hmm. and we'll, we'll find out who these children are. And notice who's, who's with them as well, the Amalekites, right? Mm, the Hittites, yes. the Amorites, the Canaanites. These are all the descendants that came uh, out uh, through the line of Ham that are now filling the land. And look at who's, who's there as well, the children of Anak. Read verse 32 and 33, would you, Brother Jeremy, for what else they said? Yes. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel saying, the land through which we have gone to search it, it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of a great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. So again, we see who the children of Anak are, right? Verse 33. And there in the promised land, we saw giants, the sons of Anak, which which come of the giants. That's the Nephilim. The DNA, if you will, the, the, the bloodline of, of, this, of these giants existed on the other side of the flood. But notice that all around them, all around them are these dark occultic people the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, and 
the Amalekites, who we now know because of yesterday's study and the brief little thing that we gave this today, the brief inter, uh, introduction to today's uh, podcast, that these Amalekites were specifically in the tradition of the of the priests that were that were ministers to the Nephilim on the other side of the flood before the flood came. And now here we see all these years later, uh, the children of Israel getting ready to go into the promised land. There are the giants. And the Bible's very specific in verse 33 saying that these sons of Anak that they mentioned come specifically from the Nephilim. And they're surrounded by Amalekites, Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites. They were, in essence, again, they had created, if you will, uh, another uh, form of, of the worship of these giants. They were the servants of them. These giants were not uh, just mere humans. They were carrying within them the very uh, DNA, if you will, for lack of a better word, of the ancient Nephilim. They were still in existence. And now just before they're getting ready to go into the promised land, here is what they are confronted with. And they refused to go into the promised land. They failed to destroy them. Like Saul, many, many years later, will fail to destroy them. But we'll get there in a second. They failed to destroy them. And, the, and, and here they are hanging out there. And, and these sons of Anak are, are present in the land along with the, the Horites or the Amalekites, the children of Amalek who came from the Horites. They, <clears throat> they murmured against God. And, and they began to... And, and they changed their mind about going into the promised land and they began to complain. They're right on the edge. And what God is requiring of them as his holy people is to go in there and take the land. Go in there by his spirit and take the land. But they didn't. They were afraid. Mm. And, 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 as a, and, and we have to understand, this isn't just a little story that we can read by. We have to understand the symbolism of the scripture. Again, what are the high points here? Everything is leading to this. The whole purpose of taking them out of Egypt to begin with, and then making them his people, and then leading them through the wilderness and bringing them to the very edge of the promised land is all very symbolic of our time, of, of, yes. of what God is doing throughout human history. He has... He has chosen a people out of Jew and Gentile and is making them into his congregation. And, and just like in those days, in the first account of coming to the very edge of the promised land, and the land is filled, if you will, with incredible demonic power and, and, and an incredible fallen humanity represented by the Amorites, Canaanites, Amalekites, all these people, and the giants. That God is saying, you go and take down these people. And it right. is symbolic of the end times because the same intensity, the same madness, the same uh, craziness is, is rearing its ugly head in our time, just as Jesus said it would. Remember what he said when he referenced the days of Noah, the days of Sodom, right? This same kind of climate, this same kind of intense spiritual warfare. In the first place, the children of Israel failed to go in, but then they tried to change their mind, right? They tried to change their mind, and, and let's take a look at that while I'm thinking about it. Go over to Numbers chapter 14. Yes. 
because a pattern uh, of, of repeated failure uh, it, it, it is telling us here that the same pattern would repeat itself throughout human history, and but it would come at key moments, and it and and it would be symbolic to us of what the conditions would be like in the last days. That's what Paul said. That's what Brother Fernando quoted a few days ago when he said, "You need to look at these stories that happened to Israel." He said, "Because they are examples to us upon whom the ends of the world have come." And so when right. we search it and we dig it out, we have to to look at it from that point of view. So uh, even though uh, they they failed and complained, they decided to change their minds, and and they decided they were going to go in after all. But they missed their moment, so to speak. As a generation, they missed their moment, and as a result, God said, "You know what? Every single one of you are going to die in this wilderness." And I'm going to let another generation, your children are going to be the ones that are going to go in and take this land. And right. and they had a whole night to think about it. And then they changed their mind and they said, we're going to go do it. And and Moses tells them, don't, don't do it because God ain't going to be with you. Check this out. Would you read that, Brother Jeremy, in chapter 14? Yes. Beginning uh, verse 1. Start with the 40th verse. 40th. Okay. Numbers 14, says, verse 40. Chapter 14, verse 40. And they rose up early in the morning and got them up in the top of the mountain, saying, Lo, we be here, and we and will go up unto the place which the Lord hath promised, for we have sinned. And Moses, and Moses said, Wherefore now do ye transgress the commandment of the Lord? But it shall not prosper. Go not up, for the Lord is not among you, that ye may be not that ye be not smitten before your enemy. See, God for removed the, his presence from that generation because they failed to obey the commandments of the Lord to go and destroy and uh, and take this promised land, to go and 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 in the power of his spirit and destroy these evil kingdoms. And so when they refused to do that, and it gets worse in the time of Saul, which is where we're headed just before we finish today. When they refused to do that the first time, uh, God removed his presence from them. And they tried to repent and, and do it. And, and, and Moses said, no, it's too late. You had your moment. Everything was leading to this moment and you blew it. And so don't try this now because you're going to get slaughtered. And they said, no, no, we'll do it. We're going to go. And he says, but God isn't with you. You see, <laughs> God isn't with you. You can try whatever you want to try now, but if his spirit is lifted from you, it ain't going to make any difference. And, and, right. and yeah, I, I, yeah, you're, you're uh, the proverbial, <laughs> you're dead meat. <laughs> that's it, right? You're, you're in trouble because my spirit isn't with you. And that's why we've seen an entire generation in, in our time as we've entered this last time that thinks it can shout, yell, you know, uh, watch its 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 angel feathers fall from the sky and all the gold, all the madness, right? Thinking that they have the anointing, but they're slaughtered. They're being slaughtered. We have an entire generation in our country being slaughtered because those that are in leadership abrogated the holiness and the power of God that was given to them for the express purpose, not of acquiring a mansion or a Bentley or a five-star resort vacation, but in, to take the land 
in the name of Jesus Christ and bring down the giants of the culture around us and save a generation so that we could go to the real promised land, right? But now they're out there fighting their battles and they don't realize it, but the presence of the Lord has been taken from them. But listen, in relation to this, look at what happens. They say, we're going to go up. And again, God draws our attention in verse 34 to this time, two classes of people. And who were they, Brother Jeremy? Read verse 42 and 43. Yes. It says, go not up for the Lord is not among you, that you be not smitten before your enemies. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and ye shall fall by the sword, because you are turned away from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord will not be with you. Now listen, it's interesting because uh, the two tribes that God mentions through Moses now, he doesn't mention the Amorites and all them, even though they're there, the Jebusites. He mentions two particular tribes. And remember what we're dealing with here, the spirit of Amalek and why God was so intense about it and is so intense about it. We see the Amalekites and the Canaanites. These are the two tribes uh, that 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 married together. Eliphaz came from the Canaanites and, 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 uh, and Amalek came from his mother, Timnah, the Horites, producing the Amalekites. So these two are together. And what's interesting, if, if we'll just take time to just pause for a moment and think about this. When they go in, remember what we laid the foundation at yesterday and then today, we just reviewed it briefly, that the Amalekites <laughs> are the ones that became the Horites. They, they, they come from the Horites, that ancient priestly class completely tied to the ancient lore of the priests that were on the other side of the flood that ministered to the Nephilim. And, and so it's not, it, it's interesting to me that when they decide that they want to go back into the promised land and change their mind, Moses warns them, you know who's going to meet you? The same ministers uh, uh, that, that once ministered on the other side of the flood, they're going to meet you. Notice it, he didn't say the giants are going to be there or, or the sons of Anak are, aren't going to be. They don't, they don't fight like that. They send their, their occult witches, if you will, these Amalekites and Canaanites, they will come against you. It is a spirit, and they're, they're going to be waiting for you there. And, 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 you, and, you're, and, and God's not with you, right? You want to talk about that? Say something about that? What it makes you think of? No, no, it's just, you know, you think of, of he's literally preaching to them, right? Moses, like, look, this is what you're up against. Yeah. You know, and, and, and in comparison, and in comparison to the kind of preaching we have today in the modern day, you know, we we don't know what we're dealing with. We have right. no idea, right? And it's going back to what Paul said in Ephesians chapter six. You know, you better put on the armor of God. You better have this on That's before right. you go. You know, in in, in this walk, be completely mm-hmm. armored up from head to toe. Because what you're dealing with, you know, and it's funny because we we say it all the time here, you know, we had these false prophets trying to rebuke this pandemic, you know, speaking into uh, the the atmosphere, <laughs> and you know, and yeah, you know, it's gonna it's gonna burn, right? That's what they were saying. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and they treat and they treat the devil like he's just some guy you could just kick around, and I get it. Like, yes, Jesus you know, uh, defeated him at the cross and, and through his resurrection. And, and we have that authority, but 
remember, we're dealing with beings that are intelligent here. The Bible says of yeah. Lucifer, right? He sealed up the sun. He, he was full of wisdom, right? Yeah. He, 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 it was incredible, his intelligence, right? So, again, we're dealing with uh, spiritual beings, unseen beings that are intelligent, and they are waiting for us to give them an opening. We have to take heed to the word of the Lord and what's being said here. And, and what the prophet Moses was warning the people about. That's what he was saying. Yeah. I think I think it applies to us today. His words Absolutely. ring today as, and loud and clear. So, yeah, you know, uh, go, ahead, go, go ahead, brother. No, we're just going to oh, say no, yesterday. I'm for <laughs> <Go ahead>. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, you know, yesterday after the after the podcast, I did share something that uh, uh, Abraham at at his old age when he was stricken with age. The Bible said that the Lord had blessed him in all things, right? right. But yet, he, there was an urgent concern in the last days of it on on earth for Abraham, and his concern, and it was something that he could not ignore and just leave it. He called his servant, and he specifically tells him, "Thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites." And then it says right. this, "Amongst whom I dwell." And what I'm trying to point out today is that I believe the Holy Spirit adds that amongst whom I dwell, telling us specifically where he dwelt, Abraham was a judge, but it also means that where he abode, where he was, he got a firsthand look of the lifestyle of the Canaanites and the way they lived. And he was concerned. He says, do not, whatever you do, do not allow my son Isaac, right, to marry one of these Canaanite daughters. Because he saw, why, why was he so concerned in the last days of his life? He, he was blessed in all things, but he saw that. He right. saw the Canaanite and, and that, lifestyle, the witchcraft, the, the everything. And then the other day you mentioned something. Whether, we, whether we're praying or not, to, the, the enemy is at work. You, you mentioned right. something a few podcasts ago, Brother Marty, about when the, the presidency of, of, of Trump, when he won his election, there was a pact that the witches, right, <laughs> made yes. to pray every single day until the demise. I mean, so they're in activity, you know, these these powers. We have to yes. know what we're dealing with. Absolutely. And, and unless, you know, people are ignorant uh, of this, which people, you know, like to be ignorant of these kinds of things because, well, it, for one thing, it scares people, which is understandable. But for the children of God, we are meant to understand exactly what we're dealing with. That's what, what Brother Fernando was just mentioning as well, where he talked about Paul telling us, you know what, you need to put on the whole armor of God uh, because you're wrestling against principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, and spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. And what you mentioned about Abraham and the Canaanites, remember this, that Abraham was old enough to have known his grandfather Noah and to have known his uh I, I guess you would call it, uh, you know, Shem. Uh, uh, he was also a contemporary with Shem. And some people believe Shem was actually uh, that Melchizedek that he met uh, when he returned back from the slaughter of the Valley of the Kings. But nonetheless, mm -hmm. I, I digress. Uh, my point is this, is that that is quite possibly one of the reasons that Abraham was so uh, intense about saying, don't mess with these Canaanite people, right? Uh, one, their bloodline is impure. These are people that have called upon this ancient spirit and these ancient spirits. 
that corrupted the people before the flood. And so he understood the darkness of the power by which they governed their societies. And here, 400-something years after Abraham, and we see his wisdom, right? We see that when the children of Israel tried to change their mind from going into the promised land to now going into the promised land, Moses tells them, like what Fernando was saying, he's preaching at them. He said, don't do it. He says, you blew it. You missed your moment, you know, and, and, and you've sinned all along the way. And now you've actually accused God of bringing you out here to slaughter you. You blasphemed against God, and he has removed his presence from you because you refuse to go and, and do what God has called you to do. And, and, he, and he tells them and warns them in verse 43, if you go, it's not going to be the giants waiting for you. It's going to be their dark wizards, you know, the Amalekites and the Canaanites. Verse 43, for the Amalekites and the Canaanites, they're going to be there in front of you. And you're going to fall by the sword because you turned away from the Lord. The Lord will not be with you. In verse 44, it says, but in spite of that word, it says, but they presume to go up. Listen to where he says they go up to. The hilltop. The hilltop. <clears throat> we ain't got time to get yeah. into this, but he's... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Remember yes. Caleb and Joshua, right? They were the only two who actually made it in, right? But <clears throat> Caleb, this hilltop that's being referred to there is Mount Hermon. Mount mm-hmm. <laughs> Mount Hermon uh, was was flooded with the giants, was flooded with the children of Anak. But look where the Amalekites are. He says, they presumed to go up to the hilltop. Nevertheless, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and Moses did not leave the camp. So they went, but but the Ark and Moses didn't go with them. The presidents didn't go with them. So they're trying to climb this hill. And look what it says in verse 45. Then the Amalekites came down. This shows you, <laughs> you know, they're on the top of the hill and the Canaanites are on the bottom of the mountain, right? It says, uh, then the Amalekites came down and the Canaanites, which dwelt in the hill. So you have the Amalekites at the top of the mountain and you have the Canaanites at the bottom of the mountain, the first mountain they were going to try and take over. But it shows us the position of the Amalekites. They feel absolutely comfortable hanging out with the sons of Anak, right? The Nephilim, these giants, because they are of that priestly class. They are the descendants in in measure of that ancient priestly class that had ministered to the Nephilim before the judgment. These are the kinds of beings and and people that they were up against, and 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 they they got completely slaughtered, as it goes on to say uh, it, that that in verse thirty and forty five it says the Amalekites came down and the Canaanites which dwelt in that hill and smote them. And discomfited them even unto Horma. So <laughs> they don't have a Joshua with them, right? <laughs> they don't have a right. Caleb with them. They don't have the presence of God with them. And when they came up against some of the, the, the meanest, ugliest, ancient, demonic peoples that have ever existed, they were absolutely slaughtered. It is a picture of the final days, really, of the kind of reflooding of the planet of the dark forces of the ancient world. This is what the Lord Jesus predicted would happen. This is why we're seeing what we're seeing now. Now, with all that said, we don't really hear from Amalek again until King Saul. Now, let's go back and look, because this brings us up to our time, and we're going to see our time in King Saul's time. 
with all that said, it kind of gives us. Are you turning over there, brother Jeremy? First Samuel. Yeah, give me that. Yes, yeah, First Samuel. Yes. Chapter fifteen. Yes. Now look. Now let's look at First Samuel fifteen. Now we're ready. After two and a half, after a day and a half of trying to lay this foundation, and I hope you know we've done something. We you know it's kind of hard when we're just doing this over the air, but. Uh, but I hope the Lord is, is is making a way. And if not, you know, go back and, and, and pause it and look up these scriptures. And, and I think a picture will begin to emerge for you if, if, if you're lost at all. But I hope not. So now let's go. And now we understand uh, in, in 1 Samuel 15 um, why God tells him, go and smite Amalek. You need to go deal with him. Now, now he's still here, you know. I mean, he was there in the days uh, uh, preceding uh, Abraham. He's there. And then 430 years later, he's mentioned again in, in the book of Exodus. His his spirit or his people are mentioned again, Amalek. And, and notice how God addresses him as a single person, even though they fight against the Amalekites, all the people. God addresses those people by addressing the name of a single individual. Because this individual is a foreshadow. He's a type. He's a son of the devil, man. He's the son of right. the hairy goat, right? <laughs> so, the hairy goat. <laughs> right. That, that's that's yes. his name, right? Fear, his grandfather. So so here we are, right? He's a type of Antichrist. He's a type of the false prophet. And And when he appears in the accounts of Scripture is very, very important for us to understand. Because remember, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So while the historical narratives are true, like we pointed out time and time again, the historical narratives are meant to be interpreted as just that, as the history, the true history. But as you dig deeper by the Spirit of God, you begin to see the prophetic picture of what is foretold for the end of time. And so every time Amalek shows up, you are literally, if you'll dig deeper, you'll see the prophetic pattern foretold uh, through the prophets, the apostles, and the Lord Jesus himself as to what will be the ultimate historical unfolding as the second coming of the Lord approaches. So here we Brother are. Marty, Samuel. Yeah, go ahead. I have a quick question. So can we say Amalek represents the last foe before entering the promised land? The, the last what? Foe? Enemy? Oh, the last image. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and, that's what and we're saying. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's what we're saying. He, he and, and what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. It it, it it likens today. That's, you know, the Lord is speaking to us. That right before, you know, uh, you know what people are preaching, oh, don't worry about none of this that's happening because we're leaving. He's coming for us. No, no, there's a last foe, one last battle. One you last know, battle, absolutely. Yes. Remember, right. all through history, uh, they failed to destroy him. And that's what Joshua, Yeshua, a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, was told by Moses. Remember, we talked about it yesterday. This war with Amalek is going to go from generation to generation to generation. Yes. But we have prophecies in the Word of God that he will ultimately be destroyed. It is quite possible that the actual Antichrist, false prophet, they will emerge from these ancient bloodlines of Ham and his sons. Ham was cursed. Canaan was cursed. Cush was cursed. Nimrod was cursed. Canaan was cursed. Um, Eliphaz and Timnah are cursed. And Amalek is cursed. And that's why when you're just about to go into the promised land, you see the Canaanites and the Amalekites 
all around those giants that were on that mountain that Israel decided they were going to try and take without the presence of God and they got slaughtered. These are all hints. These are all keys for the diligent student in the word of God to follow the line, the historical line. And it will begin to reveal to us in our time, just quite possibly, uh, how close we really are to the appearance of the false prophet and the Antichrist himself. And they are seen within the within the periodic historical emergence of, of Am Amalek and his spirit when God draws attention to it. And that's where we came here. And that's why we were asking the question, why is God being so intense with King Saul and telling him, you need to kill this guy, right? You kill Amalek. I want you to destroy everything. Well, right. Saul would utterly fail. He would utterly fail. But in this account, remember, it is this very failure right now that we're about to look at quickly. We're only going to take a few moments and we'll finish tomorrow. But quickly, we're going to see it's in this very account and Saul and the people's failure to, to deal with Amalek and what they did that is a type and a picture of what the Bible predicts will be the falling away in the last days of the, of the church and that will allow the spirit of Amalek to sit right up in it. It'll become part of it and it will fall away, just like Saul and the people are about to fall away, and we're going to see really quick. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're only gonna go part way through this. We'll pick it up again tomorrow, but we've come to this point, and we won't have to lay this incredible foundation tomorrow. But this is the second day, so for those of you listening, go back and check it out, and I think you'll be fascinated at what God is revealing. So Samuel gets goes to Saul now. Amalek reappears, and the Lord tells tells him what in verse one could you read that brother jeremy uh 15 right yes samuel also said unto saul the lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people over israel now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the lord okay so first of all again we're emphasizing that saul and the congregation of israel is being commanded to deal with amalek as we see in verse three but we're talking about prophetic pattern. We're talking of last day pattern. And and for and I don't have all day to go through all this, but 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 those of you who've been with us, you're very familiar with what we're talking about. If you're not, I, I encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast. Now listen, the prophetic pattern of the last day, we can see it in, in Saul. It just before the appearance of King David, right? Because King David is going to follow the leadership of Saul. And so these two things uh, in in the prophetic sense, are telling us of two classes of leadership. King David is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. King Saul is a type of the failed uh, le failed leadership, and the congregation which he led failed as well. But it's very interesting what what happens and and how God writes it here. Has has Samuel write this account in First Samuel 15? Notice who it is that God first addresses. Because the whole nation was going to be involved in trying to destroy this Amalek, this spirit of Amalek. But he first comes to Saul. It says, verse uh, chapter 15, verse 1, Samuel says to Saul, and look what he talks to him about. The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people. So the first thing, as he's getting ready to command him to go deal with Amalek, he tells him this. He says, you're a king, 
because you're anointed to be the king. In other words, I brought my anointing upon you and, and for this specific purpose. But understand, because you're the king, I'm going to deal with you first. You are the leader. You're the leadership. And, and, and this, is, this is what he has his prophet come and tell him first. Understand, you are supposed to be the one that will lead the people to destroy the spirit of Amalek. And, and also understand what he says. Samuel said unto Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you to be king over his people. He's, he's saying, Saul, you're the leader, but don't ever forget, these are my people that you're leading. They're not your people. Right. <laughs> They're my right. people, right? And, and how does that apply to us today? There are so many leaders in our time that have forgotten what Samuel told Saul, right? These are God's right. people. There's so many in our time have forgotten this, and they rule their ministries like little mini corporations, right? And like the people yeah. are like their own subjects for their own kingdom. So the yeah. very first thing that Saul is confronted with is his leadership. You are a leader for a specific purpose. And then he says, therefore, hearken unto the voice of the words of the Lord. So he tells him, listen. Uh, to the words of the Lord. So Saul's leadership was to lead the people, and, and, and he was to lead the people by the word of God. Right? That's what he says. Listen yes. to the voice of the words of the Lord. So as a leader, Saul, you're getting ready to deal with this spirit of Amalek, and you've got to do it by my word. And And what we're saying to the ministers in this time and at this moment, because Amalek is about to rear his ugly head and has been really the spirit of him has, has been all up in our generation. He tells the leadership first, you need to lead the people. You need to listen to what I'm commanding you and what I'm commanding you and how to lead this people is found in the voice of the word of the Lord. It is in the word of God. And so he, he then commands him in verse two, the Lord of hosts, I remember what Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came to Egypt. And then he says, now go destroy Amalek, utterly destroy him. So the word of the Lord to Saul and the people was to go and utterly destroy Amalek. They were meant to be a, a congregation of light with leadership of light and to bring down this spirit of the enemy in their time. And really, it, it, we know that, that it would become a, a, a failure. They didn't do it. And we're going to look at that, and then we'll close real quick. Because when they went to go deal with him, and he went to go and, and, and be a light and lead the people as a people of light to take on the Amalekites, look at what happens. Brother Jeremy, would you read verse 7 and 8? Yes. It says, And Saul smote the Amalekites and Haviah unto thou comest to Shur, that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. So first they go out and they begin to smite the Amalekites from Havilah until you come to Shur, that is over against Egypt. But notice what he does. 
he takes Agag, the king, and keeps him alive. He doesn't destroy him. Mm. Instead of dealing with him, he, he keeps him alive. He kills the people that are there in the territory that they invaded. They didn't get the entire Amalekite nation, as we'll find throughout the rest of the scripture, but, but he took the king and he kept him alive. And then it says in verse 9, what, Brother Jeremy? But Saul and the people spared Agag. And the okay, best... stop right there. Stop right there. Saul and the people spare him. So first Saul in verse 8 takes the king and keeps him alive. But now God draws our attention to both Saul and the people. Saul and the people spare Agag. Go ahead. And the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fatlings, and the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and and refuse that they destroyed, that they destroyed utterly. Right. So what do we see here? It's a failure not only of of leadership, but it's also a failure of the congregation. Notice the congregation will always follow the leadership. And that's what we're seeing happen in our day today. Notice in verse 8, it says that Saul keeps Agag alive. If the leadership would lead and destroy the source, then the people would follow the leadership. Right. Just like they right. followed Saul, right? He kept Agag alive. And not just an Amalekite, but the king. The right. king. He keeps him alive. And the result is, verse 9, the people spare Agag. The word hmm. spare literally means they had mercy on him. They felt sorry for him. And what they end up doing is they destroy all the stuff they don't like but they keep the best of Agag's stuff for themselves. They, (laughs) Saul keeps the people alive in verse eight and the people keep him alive in verse nine and they keep the best for themselves. Understand what's happening here. They set out on a journey to be a light and to destroy the spirit of antichrist or the spirit of the devil in their generation, if you will, but they failed to do it. Once they got in the battle, they not only kept the king alive, they keep all his stuff, the best stuff. And and this is more than just, uh, I, that, that looks like a nice sheep over there or whatever. This is the spirit of that, yeah, <laughs> right? right? That, that right. ancient Amalek begins to get a hold of the leadership and the people. See, what this is a type of, and what this is a figure and a foreshadow of, is exactly what the Bible predicts will be happening in our generation. The leadership that starts outright and is anointed to lead the people against the evil of its day is going to absolutely fail to do that so that the leadership and the people will all corrupt themselves. That is exactly what is foretold in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 through 7, where it is said the Apostle Paul speaking to the Thessalonians, right? He told them that the day of the Lord would be marked by a leadership and a church that falls away, that they would begin to remove themselves from the command of the Lord and begin to embrace the spirit of Amalek, if you will, the spirit of the devil. He said, 
to those people then uh, in Thessalonians, he said to them, the last day church is going to be this. Understand the day of the Lord isn't in your time, he said, but it will be in that future time. Uh, and, and it will come when there is a falling away. And then he talked about that, that that would make room for the wicked one to be revealed. And when he references the wicked one, he says that he will oppose everything that is called God and he will sit in the temple of God, uh, proclaiming himself to be God. And we know as we go on in the story, when Samuel finally shows up and confronts Saul and the people, who's up in the middle of them? But the king, Agag, a type of the Antichrist. He will fill the church, the fallen church, just like Agag, the king of the Amalekites, filled ancient Israel under the leadership of Saul. They are a perfect picture of the last day church that will fall away. It is this falling away of Saul and the people of Israel in their time that made way for the coming of the real king, which was King David, who is the type of the Lord Jesus, who will come in the not-too-distant future. Now, Brother Jeremy, something happened with that. Brother, Brother Marty, yeah. um, go, go ahead, finish that thought. I, I'll, I was going to say, right say, that is why uh, the very next verse is so important for us to understand, because after they keep the best alive and you know what's weird brother as i was thinking about it was that it says they took the refuse right the ugly stuff the stuff they didn't really like and they killed that but the best stuff right they right. kept for themselves yeah. and that is right. that is really a reflection of of kind of where we're at today in a sense it's, because right. there's a church that pretends to be holy right they can't stand yeah. the world they the, the refuse, the vile stuff. We don't want nothing to do with it. When the truth of the, the matter obvious. is, yes, <laughs> the obvious. But the truth of the matter is, is they're imbibing on the side and all the little stuff that they think is valuable to them that they want to partake in. They keep Agag alive in the privacy of their own party. Uh, what were you going to say, Brother Fernando? No, it, so what you were saying is that um, Agag was in the midst of the congregation of the children of Israel. And, yes. and and to think about it in our day, is this is the same thing happening? You know, is there is this are these spirits ancient spirits? Are are they now now behind our pulpit? Are they now you know uh, um, you know uh, ministering behind the pulpit and and influencing the the ministers? Yeah, that's exactly what Paul said. You know that in the last days that many will will have itching ears and, and giving heed to doctrines of devils. And and what and right? seducing spirits, right? And seducing spirits, correct. So this is this is New Testament stuff here that yeah. that Paul's talking about uh, of these about these ancient spirits that we see that are in the midst of the congregation of the children of Israel in Saul's day. Yes. Precisely. Think about that now. And that's, that's exactly what we're saying, right? Because what we're having revealed here in verse nine is that they keep the best stuff for themselves, right? They they, they destroyed all the the obvious stuff that looked didn't look pleasing, but they keep the best stuff and they keep the king of the Amalekites alive. That's that seducing spirit, right? You're talking about yes, seduction, right. the seduction of the nation, the seduction of the leadership, and the type of the antichrist. They keep him alive and they bring him right into the midst of their congregation. 
It's incredible. The pattern is there, right? You guys go look at it. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse one through seven, and you'll see. Now, when this happens, it's interesting. The next verse says what, Brother Jeremy? It says, uh, verse 10, then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying. All right, that's it. Stop right there. When what we were just talking about happens, it becomes time specific. That's why it says, then came the word of the Lord <laughs> to Samuel. <laughs> when this happened, it, it's as if what the way God writes it is as if this sets off something. This behavior sets something in motion. And it's represented mm -hmm. by the word of the Lord coming to Samuel right then. When they kept the king of Agag, uh, the Amalekite Agag alive. And when they took the best of the world, so to speak, the spirit of the world for themselves and brought Agag right up into their congregation, both leadership and people, then the word of the Lord comes to Samuel. And he says what in verse 11? It repented me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he is turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. Check this out. Two things God revealed. The leadership, Saul, has turned its back on God. That's what he says. He's turned his back uh, from following me. And two, he does not obey the word. I don't think that I've ever seen a generation of leadership like we see now since mm -hmm. the days of Saul. That, that you can listen to many of their sermons and you won't even hear the word of God quoted. Maybe they might sprinkle in a scripture or half a scripture, you know, just, just to make it legit in their eyes. They won't talk about Jesus. They don't do what the word says. They've turned their back on the Lord. And as a result of this, Agag is filling the church and the things of the world, the best of the world as they view it, is being embraced by the church. And when this happens, he says, then the word of the Lord comes to Samuel and reveals to him how he feels about it and 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 what it does to Samuel. See, Samuel in these stories is a reflection of a last day church, if you will. It, 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 he's a type of those who grieve for what they see taking place in the modern church, what they've seen in the failure of the leadership what they've seen in the compromise of the congregation and what they recognize more fully than ever before is the spirit of that wicked one that is filling the church and leading it down a road that there is no return, that they will have the presence of the Lord completely and absolutely removed from them because they fail to obey the word. They fail to be the light in that city on the hill. They fail to, to reflect the light and, and the purity of what should be a holy leadership and a holy people making a difference and a distinction in a culture that's gone absolutely mad, riddled with these ancient spirits Brother Fernando was talking about. That's when the word of the Lord came, because time had run out on Saul, time had run out on this, on this congregation that he led and where he led them. He set the tone. He kept Agag alive, right? This that has happened to the congregations over the, over the last 10, 20, 30 years, the tone was set by the leadership. 
whether it's the failed evangelists and leaders of the 80s or the compromised boys of the of the 21st century all of it from the leadership down has filtered to the people and so when you see the congregations the backslidden congregations of the false church of our day and it's plain to see now man more than ever it is a result and it, uh, of it, uh, of, of first and foremost, the failure of the leadership to adhere to the commandment of the Lord and to understand they were always meant to be the caretakers of the people of God. And their failure has caused what we see today, an absolute unrecognizable church of Jesus Christ. They've turned their back on God and they do not obey his word. And Samuel is like many people out there listening to us. He weeps all night. And he grieves. He represents the true church in our time that is grieving right now and longing for the Lord to return. The very next day, Brother Jeremy, we'll close with this. Can you read verse 12? We'll pick it up from here tomorrow. And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel saying, Saul came to Carmel and he behold, he set him up a place and is gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. So it, these are all very symbolic terms, right? It, it's all night that Samuel's grieving. And and whenever you read night in, in, in connection with these types of stories, you're reading about a, a symbol of, of the condition of, of the culture. And then early in the morning, Samuel rises up. It speaks of the dawning of a new day. A transition's about to take place, and and we don't have time to get into all that. But notice what it says in verse 12. It says, Samuel rose up early in the morning to go and meet Saul. See, the, it, it, Samuel is looking for Saul. They were supposed to meet after the battle. <laughs> they were supposed to right. come back together. But here we see Samuel having to, to look for Saul. because. In, in a sense, it, it, it represented Saul's disobedience and the people's disobedience running from the prophetic word and the prophetic commandment of God to do what they were supposed to do. And so it speaks in our time of a generation that doesn't want to be anywhere near that Samuel-like generation that's looking to, to hold it to account and say, what have you guys done? They're nowhere to be found. But where they go is very interesting because this is the key to us in our time and how we know we're approaching the return of our heavenly King David, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look where they go to take Agag and and all the spoils and 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 all the 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 best of the world. Where did they go? Can you read that the uh, again, Brother Jeremy, in verse twelve? Yes. And when Samuel rose early to meet. Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel to Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place and is gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. So where, where they went was to Gilgal. And, and Gilgal uh, is very symbolic. First of all, it's almost as if he's trying to avoid Samuel. You know, just like the, the modern day leadership today. It, it, it's trying to avoid the accountability. And that's what Sam, Saul was doing here. He's trying to avoid the call, accountability. He doesn't want to hear it. He knows what he's done. 
and 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 we'll conclude this tomorrow but where he takes the people is very symbolic he takes them to gilgal and why is this significant because this is the place if you know your bible history this is the place where joshua brought the children of israel just before they were about to cross the promised land they came to gilgal it's very right. symbolic that, that Saul led his people to the edge of the promised land crossing, and he brought yes. Agag with him. He took Agag there. <laughs> this is very symbolic. It is quite possibly, I think, where we're nearing now. The leadership has failed. The congregation are backslidden, and they don't even realize that they're right at Gilgal. They're right at the place that Joshua led them into the promised land all those centuries before, very symbolic of our Lord Jesus, right on the precipice of bringing us into the promised land. Instead of being there, waiting to cross into the promised land with a heavenly Joshua, they're there with a failed leadership called Saul. They've brought with them the spirit of Antichrist, and they're camping out right on the edge with all the spoils of the world. Right now, just like they would in in a few days would see a new king coming, like we're about to see a new king coming. King King David would come after this event. He would be anointed by Samuel to be the king. A very much a foreshadow and a prediction that that uh, that a new king was was coming. Just like we have right now. Right now we're about to see our heavenly David appear. And but, but the church, right? But the church is hanging out with the world's goods. They're hanging out with Agag, a spirit of the age, the zeitgeist, if you will, all up in their midst. And and they're actually preparing themselves to be filled with that spirit that the Bible predicted would happen to the false and compromised church. But there is a true remnant out there. And that is why we are laboring every day in the word and in prayer, because we feel compelled by the spirit of the Lord to tell you those of you who know, those of you who care, those of you who are moved and grieved at what you see, that this is coming to an end soon, and that our heavenly King David is about to appear. We are at Gilgal, and we will be crossing over very soon in the not-too-distant future. And our hope is not in the failed uh, kingdoms uh, uh, and compromised ministries of this day, we're looking for a for a heavenly shepherd, a heavenly king, the son of the living God. Where are you today? We're all at Gilgal because Samuel came there. One has Agag with it. The other one has the anointing and the spirit of the Lord with it. Question is, which one are you? Yes. Go ahead, brother. I'm uh... Yes, brothers. Uh, you said something at the at the end, brother, uh, brother Marty, that many of these ministers don't want to be uh, um, be. How do you say accounted? What what is the word you use? Accounted for? Accountable. Held accountable. Yes. Yeah. They don't want to be held accountable for their disobedience of the word of God. But I want to just uh, leave the listeners with this scriptures from the words of Jesus Himself found in Matthew 7. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Listen to this. He that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. 
Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, to all these prophets, right, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name have cast out devils, in thy name done many wonderful works. Then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. But listen, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I like I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. Whether these prophets, these uh, ministers, preachers do not want to be accountable, they will one day face the Lord Jesus Christ, the judge. So let's take heed to what the Lord is saying. There is a king coming. His name is Jesus Christ. That is our desire. Come, Lord. I pray that you have been blessed today. Pray that something from has been said from this podcast will draw you, will challenge you to draw closer to him. May the Lord bless you. I pray you join us tomorrow, Friday, as we continue on this tremendous Bible study. May God bless you and keep looking up.